Welcome to C3 Church, Queens Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. Hello. How are we today? I'm not wearing a denim shirt and black, apparently, like Pastor Nicole, Yanni and Sean. If you have a little glance, you'll see that there is a, there is a little uniform happening this morning. Yeah. But they didn't send me the memo, so I'm not part of the gang. Oh, oh, I am part of the gang. We're all part of the gang. Aren't we all part of the gang? Uh, Thank you for having me, QB. Thank you for having me, wonderful Pastor Steve and Pastor Nicole. Um, I just want to honour these guys. They do an incredible job. I know that you know this, but they have such a resilient leadership their commitment, their fortitude, their constant incline to the Holy Spirit and their sense of fun and hospitality is to be admired and honoured and respected. And so let's congratulate and honour Pastor Nicole and Steve for all they do in building this community that you get to be a part of and get to belong to. It is an extraordinary thing and I always love coming here. It's been about six months actually since I was looking back in my notes and Jason and I get the privilege of coming up at least, you know, once to twice a year. And I always love seeing you guys, seeing new faces, seeing what's happening up here, feeling like I get to be a little part of it. So thank you for having me today. So God works in what I would call themes for me. It's like each year is in some ways a season itself. And we can live with a sense of call in our life in terms of what we believe we're called to do over the course of our life. But I actually believe that we have specific and seasonal calls as well, as well, where God will call us to do something in a particular time or a particular season. And that may look like a month, it may look like three months, it may look like a year. But what I often find is the poetic woman in me finds that there's a seasonal sound for this call. And what I find is as I marinate and chew on this and come to figure out what God is saying to me specifically, the the theme or the sound for me in that season is that it actually then resonates wider and I find as I often share that sound or that theme on my social media or, or in my conversations with other people that there's this resonance of, wow, me too. I'm sensing that, I'm feeling that as well. And I've actually shared the word that I'm going to share this morning over in Canberra, Belconnen, in fact, only a couple of weeks ago. And, it, and it's quite amazing how you can share a word in a completely different state and people take a hold of it and grab hold of it there too and go, me too. And so what I feel I have to share this morning goes well beyond just something that is for me important and significant and what God has spoken to me. But I believe that it's a corporate word for the greater body of Christ. And so the theme or the sound for the better part of the start of this year, can be encapsulated in one word for me, and that is unravelling. And what this is, let me unpack it poetically, because that's kind of what I do. Thank you, Ethan. (laughs) It's an unravelling of a wealth of ideas, of things and rhythms. It's an unravelling within. And this unravelling unfortunately can get a bit of bad airplay because often unravelling can be 
have the connotation of dysfunction. But this actually, this word unravelling for me personally and what I believe it is for many people actually connects to the sense of vulnerability. And I see it like this. I see a large silver thread all bound up, literally being carefully and deliberately unwound. And what's happening is that there's an unwinding from the structure and the stuff. The sticky tentacles of church and ministry and leadership and business, business life. The glorious but unrelenting juggle of being parent, spouse, disciple, friend, sister, cousin, auntie, uncle. An unravelling of the cobwebs of confusion, pulling apart the threads that vary in size and shape and width and texture. And this unravelling, which I have sensed and felt, is neither particularly familiar or comfortable, or, if I'm honest, especially welcomed. But the Holy Spirit has impressed upon my heart and wants me to share with you this morning that it is He that is doing the unravelling, that He is unravelling many of the insides of our hearts, the insides of our churches, the insides of our thinking. Because as this unravelling occurs, as the Holy Spirit unravels what is inside, there's this tender but personal and purposeful breath that all else around it evaporates like dust to make clear what is in the middle, to cut through all the stuff, to see one word, one purpose, one hope, the anchoring, sourcing, centrality, the home space of it all. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus is who we must find and must be continually reminded of that he is the centre of it all. That when all unravels, that it is him who we find at the core. The core of who we are and the core of what we do. And I wrote it like this. And so this silver thread of mine unravels to its core and then it slowly wound again, but nothing like before. And this may make sense to you or you may be going, oh wow, this sounds like a whole heap of flighty mumbo jumbo. But it's this sense of unravelling that I speak from today and I promise for those of you that are far more pragmatic and practical amongst us to now unpack it in a more coherent and less ethereal way. I'm actually both poetic and practical. That's how my husband describes me. I have this unusual personality of type of being very creative but actually very pragmatic at the same time. So I try and speak from that place, not to lose all the non-creatives. So simply said, Jesus is the why. He is my why, he is our why. He is the why that takes up most room in our hearts. But it's a why we must keep fighting for. A why that we must be reminded of. That he is the centre of all we do and who we are. And so rightly so, because of this, Jesus forms the central core of our sparkly new purpose statement that you would have seen this year. And we have version two coming up on the screens right now. 
that Pastor Joel has put, through, put forward for us this week. So I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes unpacking this. This is our purpose statement as a church community. A church community that is soon to be in five locations, as we heard Ethan mention this morning. And what we're colloquially calling this is the three. Why is it the three? Well, because there's three bits in the second bit and the third bit and there's three circles. And also, you know, three's connected to the Trinity. No, it's nothing to do with the Trinity. It's nothing to do with the Trinity. So let me unpack this for a little minute. You will see that the purpose statement of our church community has Jesus at the core. A core that we keep coming back to, that it is here he forms the middle part of who we are and what we do. He's not a periphery, he's not a tag on, he's not something we get to eventually, but he is our why. He is our everything. This is why we meet together as a church community. This is why we run events. This is why we praise and pray and worship. Everything is for him and about him. So Jesus gives life to the full. Live it. Share it. And and then what we've been developing and marinating on and, and chewing over is kind of what are our hallmarks as a church community, what defines C3 in its five locations? What are the things that we believe God has kind of stamped us with? What are we called to be like? And what we have there is we have three statements around there, which I know you guys have already heard a little bit about, but let me just explain them in M speak. So we've got a desire, the bottom one, to foster family and friendships. Healthy, robust, growing, authentic, vulnerable relationships in our marriages, families and friendships. That we won't settle for the ordinary in this space, nor will we ever stop learning. That we will lean into vulnerability with each other as we know that this vulnerability incubates intimacy. Number two, that we have a focus to grow as influencers. That is people who are thermostats, who bring a steadying peace and hope into situations that don't shift and move by the tides and feel of the environment. Influences that we will be in the way we conduct ourselves in our schools, our workplaces, our businesses, our homes. Influences whose voices and art and writing and design and song and colour and texture and creativity go above the noise of pleasure and self-seeking that is feasted on in the world. That each of us, as we take a hold of our call and lean into the Holy Spirit, will continually grow and develop in our lifelong discipleship journey. Number three a leaning in to go beyond, plus one. That is, we will go outside ourselves, outside our comforts and needs and wants to see others, help others, visit others, love others. That we extend an invitation to come, come and share in this community, come and feast at this table that we will live leaning into a plus one invitation to that neighbour, that friend, that family member, that stranger, that just as Jesus is written on our hearts, so too are the names of others. And then these three defining norths are then fostered and grown and developed and taught inside the vehicles of church life through corporate gatherings, groups and media. This is who we are. 
This defines us as a culture and as a people. This is who we are choosing to lean into and grow into more as a church community. Great, so what does this mean? How do we live and lead and love with a sense of being unravelled with Jesus at the centre? What, what does this actually mean for us? What does this look like? What does this feel like? And so I want to bounce out of Ephesians 4 today, which I know you guys have also been preaching out of quite a bit this year. Ephesians 4.1 from the New Living Translation. This is a letter from a man who is in prison. A man called Paul, who we could describe in this moment, probably is largely unravelled. A letter that he then writes to the Ephesians. A letter like all these letters do, share a heart and an instruction and, and an encouragement and an emotion. A letter that meanders at times and then, like only Paul can, creates a power pack punch. And so he starts in Ephesians 4.1 calling up and calling out to the church at Ephesus, a sense of being, a, a sense of call, a sense of purpose. And he says it like this. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And as I've marinated and chewed and unraveled this word in prayer and thought for the better part of the, the year, I've tried to come up with what's essentially the core of this statement. What, what is Paul actually encouraging us as believers to be like? And if I had to put it in an M paraphrase, it would say something like, if you're all in, live like it. If you're all in, live like it. So this is, this is a call for us to come up and to come out. It's a, a call to hope. It's a call to purpose. It's a call to being bigger and seeing bigger than we currently are. You see, this isn't to go, oh, that's a call related to just being a pastor or a leader. This isn't a call related to a job description or a market influencer or, or something else in that neat box. This is a call here to all of us as followers, as disciples of Christ. It's a call that requires a disposition of all inness. What is that? That's a largeness. That's a grunt and a grit. So we've got two thoughts colliding, right? We're unraveled and we're all in. Where are you metaphorically going, woman? It's okay. Stay with me. Stay with me. So Ephesians 4, and what I love about this is that Paul makes this quite brave, courageous, declarative statement. But then in the 31 verses following verse 1, he actually goes on to describe what that means. So if we want to live all in, if I've got a disposition of all inness, what am I signing up for? What does that look like? Well, Paul goes on to give what I would say is the fine print. The fine print of the all inness, the fine print of a call, a leading a life worthy of the call. And in the message version of these few verses, it actually says, here's what I want you to do. So whenever I'm told what I need to be doing, I'm, I'm all ears, right? So let's unpack this and have a little look at what this disposition of all inness 
looks like? What does it mean? How should I be living? How should I be going about my day? What are these to-dos and to-bes of this unraveled all-inness? And so I'm going to read a good portion now of the rest of those verses. And Yanni's going to swap and change with me as I skip some verses. I won't read it all, but I'm going to read a good portion of it. Picking up from verse 1. Therefore I... A prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Here comes the fine print. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Verse 7, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Down to verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit perfectly together. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Down to verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body, and don't sin by letting anger get a control of you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Instead, use your hands for generous good work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear him. Hear them. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Oh boy. Rather a long list there, right? This unraveled all-inness picture is actually complex. Complex. And so in order to help us understand it a little bit better and perhaps release some of the pressure that we now feel, maybe that's just me, I'm going to use a nifty English teacher Y chart. And because I like things fitting together, today is called the Y factor, seems only fitting to use a Y chart. However, the reason I use this is not just to be fancy. What a Y chart does is it takes a complex, sometimes abstract concept and makes it more definable and personal. So what I've done is taken all of those verses and now put them into three Y chart categories. Looks like, sounds like, and feels like. And Yanni, you can put that up here. So what I did is pulled out all the language, all, all the adjectives, all the kind of concepts 
and defined what a picture of all inness, of unraveled all inness for you and me personally, but also for the church, what that looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like. And here's some language. Here's some words, here's some definition to kind of pull that from an abstract complex thing into something that's a little bit more understandable. What does it look like? We, us, personally and corporately look like oneness but not sameness. Looks like throwing off sinful nature. That's an ongoing process. Throwing off continually, not just a once off. It looks like good works. You can see stuff. See the good works of our hands. You can see our new nature, that is holiness. You can see, you can look at unity. You can also see maturity. It's what a picture of all inness looks like, that when we bump into someone that we haven't seen for a few years, they can see progress in us. What does it feel like? What should this feel like for you personally sitting here today, as well as in your home, as well as in your personal life? Should feel like a fitting together. Should feel like growth. Should feel like health. Should feel like renewal, kindness, forgiveness, tenderness, tender hearts rather. Feel like a building up, a sense of hope, coming into you should actually though also feel like hard work. What does it sound like? Sounds like we're speaking the truth but in love. Not in fact, not in argument, not in opinion but in love. Should sound like harmony which is what voices do when they're singing the same song but in a different point should sound like encouragement, should sound like good and helpful language. There's a picture of all in this, friends, a sense of who we are called to be personally and corporately, a sense of living a life worthy of the call. And I love this chart. And many of us would kind of look at something like that and go, great, I'm going to stick that on my wall I'm going to save that as my screensaver because it calls us up and it calls us out and it it gives us a sense of calling us to something, calling us to a higher standard, calling us to a new wineskin and a new self and and it can be empowering and encouraging. But depending on your nature, your temperament, your Enneagram category, your gender, your upbringing, you may look at something like that and not see it as a glorious task list, but you may feel utterly disempowered and think, hmm, if that's living a life worthy of the call, if that's what living an all-in-ness disposition is, can I have a refund, please? So let's just place that aside for one moment. Let's come at this from yet another angle to help us understand it a little bit more and I'm about to show you another graph which I'll indicate when I want up thanks guys at the back and I saw this pop up on social media a couple of years ago and and it meant something to me and I, and I appreciated it and I've kind of played with it a little bit recently in terms of this whole sense of living a life worthy of the call because growth 
a disposition of all-inness, we can think about that, we can rationalise that and we can go, okay, I'm signed up for this, given my heart to Jesus, I'm, I'm all-in, and then we can have a sense of what that journey then feels like. But growth as a Christ follower often isn't quite what we expected, and if we want to pop that up now. Growth as a disciple Christ follower, what people think it's like, what it's really like. In the words of the great John Maxwell, anything worthwhile is uphill. See, the line isn't straight. A disposition of all inness doesn't necessarily mean the trajectory of our life, the existence of our life, doesn't mean it's all neatly packaged in something that we can understand and goes on this glorious ascension to the top of the hill to meet Jesus and I'm heading in a straight line. That chart, the one what it's really like, can highlight that the journey of all inness, the disposition of all inness, can have backwards moments, messy moments, unexplainable moments, unravelling moments, paradoxical moments, God can be silent moments, and yet all of that can form part of the journey that we are on. It doesn't escape me that that Ephesians 4 is written from Paul in prison. He was writing from a tension moment. He was writing, feeling a sense of call and bigness, yet he was literally physically contained. He was faith-filled and yet he had been silenced. He's writing this hope-filled, come on church at Ephesus moment, yet he himself is locked in chains. And he would have said, you know, that that is the journey he's on. But quite clearly, we could pinpoint Paul somewhere in one of those curly, wobbly, paradoxical moments on his journey. Sarah Bessie says it like this. Few of us follow a straight line in our spiritual story. We squiggle and wiggle, stop and start, progress and regress, rest and recoup, charge ahead recklessly, take sharp turns, stumble into ditches that turn out to be portals. And this isn't a bad thing. On the contrary, I think, I think it's the thing that makes our stories beautiful. So where are you today? If you had to pinpoint yourself on that journey today, are you in a crescendo moment or an answering moment or are you in a questioning moment? Are you in a valley or a mountain? Where would you place your life on that squiggly line? Because it can feel like, sound like, and look like a whole heap of other things. That first Y chart I had was hope-filled and had statements of unity and growth and health. But let me give you some other little adjectives that this part can feel like. All in this, a growth trajectory can feel painful and uncomfortable and out of sorts, can feel nothing like what you thought, can feel like you're stuck. It can look like a middle, can look like a muddle. 
It can look like a mountain, backwards, forwards, sometimes at the same time. It can look nothing like what others expected. It can also sound like silence, warfare, crying, laughter, worship, noise. It can be all of those things. But what I want to remind us of is if we were to unravel that that line there, it's still pointing in a direction. It's still pointing in a purposeful trajectory. It's ascending the mountain of the Lord. It's got Jesus at its core, Jesus in its sight. It's got a sense of purpose and a sense of hope. And that line may end up being a lot longer than we expected, may have way more kinks in it than we hoped. But Jesus is still the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so wrestling with that journey, wrestling with the complexity of the all-inness is such an important part of the Christian journey because we can get stuck. We can get stuck in the muddle. We can put our roots down somewhere where we're not called to put down. We can misinterpret a trial for something that we have done wrong and start to blame others or ourselves or our God. We can misinterpret what silence is. We can misinterpret what complexity is. So the importance of having that unravelling constantly. And Jesus, are you written on my heart? Jesus, are you my key focus? Jesus, are you my key purpose? Can then keep our sights clear even when our journey seems to be nothing like what we expected. So let me finish with a couple of statements today. Jesus needs to be at that centre point. Living and leading a life worthy of the call is messy and complex. So goodness gracious me, we need to keep Jesus at the centre. Otherwise we'll become disillusioned, disenfranchised, discouraged or just darn tired. No, he sees you. He has you. He wants to wait there for you. He wants to be your hiding place, your strong hand, your deliverer, your healer, your friend, your confidant, your redeemer. So when we find ourselves discouraged, that we'll say the name of Jesus under our breath, knowing there is depth and strength and unction and power in his name, that when we find ourselves bland and flatlining, that we'll speak in tongues so our heart hinges from our head and hinges to our spirit. When we find ourselves stuck, we'll flip open the word of God and read the Psalms, Psalms where David is stuck too, and yet the language of praise always lingers on his lips. When we find ourselves feeling out of sorts and wondering if we've missed it, lost it, never had it, we will step outside ourselves and send a text to that confidant or that safe friend or that sister in arms and we'll ask for prayer knowing that vulnerability incubates intimacy. When we'll find ourselves wrestling with the tension and the paradox that is the Christian life, we'll lean into him, the older ox, as a younger ox leans into the master because the master sees more, knows more and has travelled the road before. When we find ourselves weary from the ascent, overwhelmed by the all-in, we will pause, sealer, Sabbath, that in the beauty of his presence, 
our soul will be filled by the bubbling waters. Let's keep living large in the skin of our call with the heart and the grit and the weight of our all. Let me pray for you this morning. Oh God, as we continually unravel and see what is around us, that we allow ourselves to linger in the shadow and the mess and the chaos, that we'll make peace with the depth and breadth and fullness of who you are, that we'll not seek perfection and ease and comfort and intellect and personal preference, but God, that we will see you and only you that you will take up the most room in our hearts. From the words of Paul in Ephesians 3.10, let me pray this over you today, that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge, that you may be filled through all your being until all the fullness of God may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.